hope you've had a great weekend. If you were here with us last week, then you should have picked up one of these guys. Right here, if you've got it, I want you to pick it up. Show me that you got it. I want to know everybody's got it. All right, good for y'all. Look at you. Y'all followed some instructions. How about that? Okay, awesome. If you would, go ahead. You can even turn into page 21. So page 21, this is a really great tool, y'all, because each and every week, you've got a place for sermon notes here. I would encourage you to take some notes. Um, Like this week, for example, if you just flip over to page 22 and 23, you've got some reflection questions that you can work through during the week. I would certainly encourage you to do that. I think it would do nothing but bless you and bless your heart as we're, consi- you know, as we're moving forward in this process. Another thing that you should have received is a commitment card. Oh, and by the way, on these workbooks, make sure if you don't have one, make sure you grab one on your way out. You're going to need that. I want you to have it as we walk through the next several weeks, okay? So make sure you get one of these. It's all, oh, man, also, it's got some really great stuff in the big, in the. And the first part here kind of explains what we're doing, where we're headed, some really cool, cool things, okay? Here's the other thing that you need to make sure that you have, a commitment card, okay? This commitment card is not for you to turn in today, okay? So I'm not asking you for your money today. I'm not going to your wallet, so everybody can take a deep breath. You're fine, right? It's all good. Um, but I want you to have one of these because I want you to begin praying and asking the Lord how he would lead you to be a part of the next two years of what's going on at First Baptist Belton. Over the next two years, we are going to be committing to fund our ministry plan for the years 24 and 25, okay? And part of that plan is building a new facility on the property at 121 in MLK, okay? So I want you to begin praying now for November 12th, which is going to be our commitment Sunday as to what God would have you do and be a part of, again, funding the vision for the next two years of our church. So really really excited about all of that. Now, last week, if you missed it, I'm sorry that you missed the launch of this public initiative, Um, but here's the cool thing. Technology allows you to be a part of what we did last week. You can get online on YouTube, and you can can check out what we did last week. Also, there's a website, uh, part of our larger website as a church, fbbelton.org. You can go there. When you Go to the homepage. There's a button you can click on. It's the all-in logo. Click on that. It'll take you to a link. That link is our all-in webpage that can give you all of the info that you need to know. There's plenty of places to find it on that webpage, in your workbook, um, or you can come talk to one of us. We'd love to help you as well. Now, set that aside. Last week, we talked about the importance of understanding the difference between liking an idea maybe you remember this, liking an idea and being surrendered to it, right? There's a difference between going, man, this is a great idea. Wow, I love this vision that the Lord has placed on our church. I love that. There's a difference between saying I love it and then coming over here and saying I'm going to surrender to it and I'm going to sacrifice good things for the sake of this thing that I love. There's a difference. There's a difference between Again, liking an idea and being surrendered to it. Now, when it comes to the vision that God has for us, it's not enough for us to just be for it. We've got to be all in with it. We've got to surrender ourselves to the call that God has placed on our life. And, that, and the reason why we're saying all of that is because our goal is not a number. You have to hear that very clearly this morning. Our goal is not a number it's a percentage. Okay, it's a percentage. 
our primary goal for the next two years is that we have 100% participation in what we believe to be God's vision for our church. 100% participation. We're going to help our kiddos. We're going to help our youth. We're going to help everybody kind of come along and be a part of this vision as we move forward. But the goal is not a number. It's a percentage. And that percentage is 100%. Right? That's not just a hope. That's an expectation. And it's not my expectation. That's God's expectation. God's expectation for you is that you would be faithful in your generosity of your resources to his kingdom. And we're allowing you, we're inviting you to be a part of that. Okay, so it's gonna be great. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Now here's, a, here's something that I wanna encourage you on. As I was reading my quiet time this week, I stumbled on the book of Esther. In chapter four, verse 14, don't turn there. I'm just gonna encourage you with this, this that I found very encouraging to me this week. So Esther has this incredible calling on her life to go and help and be a part of rescuing and saving the lives of, of, of the Jews. And Mordecai comes to Esther, and here's what he says to her. It's very encouraging. In a moment of doubt, he looks at her and he says, perhaps you were created for this moment, Esther. Perhaps you were created for this moment. Listen, we are celebrating 170 years as a church this year. Perhaps we were created for this moment in time. Today, we sit in this room, we stand, we sing together because 170 years ago, there were a a group of faithful men and women and children who said, we have a vision, we're willing to sacrifice for that vision, and we sit in this room and we are blessed because of the faithful sacrifices of those folks. So perhaps... This is our moment that in 170 years from now, people are going to look back and go, man, I get to experience this moment and I get to take the baton in this race because the people in this room in 2023 were faithful and were willing to sacrifice for God's vision. First Baptist Belton, perhaps this is our moment. I think it is. I think it is. Now, for us to step into that moment, to step into our moment in time and our moment in history where God has called us, it is going to take us surrendering to that vision and it is going to take trust, not in ourselves, not in our own creativity or innovation or wisdom, but in God and his ability, his profound ability to get us from point A to point B. He's been faithful to this church for 170 years. I don't think he's going to stop now. He is worthy of our trust. Now, as we talk about trust, we're going to turn to our Bibles in Jeremiah 17. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Jeremiah 17. It's a really important passage in Jeremiah 17. The people of God have found themselves in a place of condemnation They're sitting underneath the condemnation of the Lord. And the reason why they are sitting under the condemnation of the Lord, it's not because they're immoral, it's not because of the things that they have done, but rather the reason why they're sitting underneath the condemnation of the Lord at Jeremiah 17 is because rather than trusting in the Lord, they had had abandoned him and they began to trust in themselves. 
The Lord had given them a vision, a vision of salvation, a vision of freedom. And rather than trusting in the Lord to get them there, they began to trust in themselves. And so now they're sitting underneath the weight of God's condemnation. And he says, hey, look, Israel, you've got two options. There's really two ways for you to live. There's a way of of living where you make you and your your resources and your life the, the center of your trust. Or, or you can trust me. But understand, there are consequences to the way you choose to live your life. If you choose to live your life where you are the center of your trust, what Jeremiah is going to tell us this morning is that you are choosing to live under God's divine curse. Whereas, if you choose to put your trust in me, you are choosing to live underneath the blessing, underneath my divine blessing. So there's two ways to live. Now the first way he says here in verse five, he says, cursed is the man who trusts in man, and hear this, and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns from the Lord. What Jeremiah is helping us see is that when we place our trust in ourselves, in our resources, and in our wisdom, and in our strength, what happens to our hearts is that our hearts slowly and surely start turning away from God and turning to ourselves. So rather than trusting him, we trust ourselves, and God says via the prophet Jeremiah that to choose that way of life is you're choosing to live under a curse. One theologian said it this way. He says, anyone who trusts in technology, economics, psychology, medicine, government, military, arts, or any other aspect of human invention or culture is living under God's curse. Though these things may be good, though these things may be necessary for us to put our trust in them is to submit ourselves to the curse of God. It's to trust in man and our invention rather than in God and in his strength and provision. Now, he paints a pretty bleak picture of what this looks like. He paints this picture of what you and I look like when we place our trust in ourselves and in man's human inter- or invention. He, verse 6, he says, He is like a shrub in the desert that shall not see any good come. He's like a shrub, a lonely shrub in the middle of the desert. Picture that, this lonely shrub in the middle of a barren desert that is just withering away, slowly decaying over time. When we place our trust in ourselves and in our own resources and how much money's in my bank account and how much money's not in my bank account or how good my kids' grades are, all these different things, when I place my trust in all of this, I'm like a lonely shrub in the middle of a barren desert. He says the picture of one who trusts in man is one of loneliness and misery. It's one of loneliness and misery. We become so focused on ourselves and what we can gain out of our life that we miss out on the people around us until we look up at some point in our life and realize that we are, we're all alone in the middle of a desert. You know, in our property, we've got a bunch of trees. We moved from West Texas, so 
There's no trees out there. So Jordan's only requirement when we moved to Belton was we have to have a bunch of trees. So she got a bunch of trees. Among those trees are some cedar trees. And somebody said, hey, listen, Logan, you need to cut down all those cedar trees. And I was like, you don't understand. We're from West Texas. We don't cut down trees. Right? You don't cut down trees when you're from West Texas, right? So I said, I can't do that. And they said, well, listen, I'm telling you, you know, though they may be pretty, what they do is they, while they don't need a whole lot of water, they suck up all of the water for all of the plants and vegetation around it that does need water. When we choose to put our trust in ourselves and our own resources and our wisdom and our strength, we become like a cedar tree. The people around us who need our blessing, we refuse to give it to them to the degree that we suck and bleed everybody around us dry to the degree that we become that lonely shrub in the middle of a desert. We become lonely and miserable. Number two, we become unsatisfied. When we place our trust in ourselves, we are unsatisfied. Jeremiah says, he's like a tree in the shrub who dwells in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. And this is a picture of one who longs to be satisfied and does all that they can to satisfy their thirst in their heart. Maybe one more drink, one more hour at work, one more buck, one more purse, one more new pair of shoes, one more car, one more house, one more vacation. And so we're trying to satisfy ourselves with all of these things only to get to the point where our lives look like an uninhabited salt land. Cut off from the nutrients of the one who can make us, make our hearts satisfied. When we trust in ourselves to satisfy our hearts, what Jeremiah is saying here is that we will live a long life seeking satisfaction but never actually arriving at the destination at which we hope to have. Lonely and miserable, unsatisfied, number three, number three, we'll find ourselves poor and needy. In verse 11, Jeremiah says that for the one who makes man their trust, he is like a partridge who gathers a brood that she did not hatch, so is he who gets riches but not by justice. In the midst of his days they will leave him and at his end he will be a fool. This is the picture of the one who gives their life to chasing wealth believing that the dollar is an answer to their problems. Believing the lie that if they just have enough money then they're going to be okay. Always afraid that the money's going to run out. This is the person who holds so tightly onto their resources, but I've earned these resources. These are, this is not God's, this is mine. I've earned it, I got up early, I went to work, I've done all of the hard work, I've put in the, the, the effort. I, may, I got the grades that got the job. And yet slowly and surely when our hope is in our wealth, the market crashes, retirement accounts sink, which don't look at your retirement right now, by the way. Our hearts begin to sink with it. And when we place our hope in the things of this world, we live our life to the degree that Jeremiah says at the end of our life, we will be lonely, we will be miserable, we will be unsatisfied, and all of the riches that we gained by cutting corners, by pursuing wealth, we will find ourselves 
with nothing except for a sign on our forehead that says full. It's a bleak picture, but it gets even worse. The fourth one is, he says that the curse of the one who puts their faith and their trust, their hope in man, he says, over time will decay to the point of death. In verse 13, he says, those who turn away from you, speaking of God, shall be written in the earth for they have forsaken the Lord, the foundation of living water. Maybe they came to church and they sang songs, they said things with their mouth, but their heart didn't catch up to the words that were coming out of their mouth. And over time, the things of the world creeped in to the point that their soul decayed under the weight of the world to the point that they died lonely, miserable, unsatisfied, and in poverty. This is the picture of the one who trusts not in the Lord, but trusts in man. I was thinking about this this morning. As a matter of fact, I read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25. It says that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. I want you to think about that. The foolishness of God is wiser than that of the wisdom of man. The weakness of God is stronger than the strength of man. But not only that, if you just look at verse 9, he even tells us why. Why is God painting this picture, and he says in verse 9, he says that the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. He says the reason why you can't trust yourself is because your heart is untrustworthy. You've probably heard people say, well, just trust your heart. That's a terrible thing to say. Because what God says is that your heart is untrustworthy that you can't actually trust your heart because if you trust your heart, it's not gonna lead you to God, it's gonna lead you away from God apart from his intervention via his spirit in your life. (laughs) Cursed is the man who makes man his trust and the strength of man his trust. So that's one way to live. Now here's the other way to live. See, God doesn't leave us in the wake of the curse. He says, no, 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 I wanna invite you into my blessing. So I'm going to invite you into my blessing. He invites us into something so much better, something so much greater. He says, listen, if you want to experience security, if you want to experience peace, if you want to experience joy, place not your trust in yourself or in man, but place it in me. It's a place of security that recognizes that he's in charge. And it's a place of peace knowing that he knows best and will take care of me every step of the way. This is the invitation of the Lord to you and me this morning. In verse 7, he says, blessed, happy, joyful. This is a kind of blessing that's not moved by the world. It's the kind of blessing that's not moved by the stock market or the, 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 the grades that you make in school or the diagnosis that you receive. This is a kind of blessing that is that is steadfast, that's a deep anchor for your soul. He says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and hear this, whose trust 
is the Lord. Wow. Not only is he saying blessed is the man who trusts the Lord, but who makes the Lord the object of his trust. Wow. It's like the difference between saying to someone, I trust you, and then putting myself in a position to have to trust you. To have to trust you. See, it's one thing to say, I like an idea. It's quite another thing to say, I'm going to surrender myself to that idea. In the same way, it's one thing to say, Lord, I trust you. But it's quite another thing to put myself in the place to where I have to trust you. You see the difference? There's a major difference. As a matter of fact, I'm going to help you see that difference. I've got a friend who's going to come up here and help me illustrate this point this morning. Jay-Z, come on up. Yeah. All right, Jay-Z, how, how many years have we known each other? Oh, um, ever since you got here as a college minister, so... So like seven, seven years, give seven or take? Seven years, I'd say. Okay, so Jay-Z, do you trust me? Um, yes. You trust me? You're the pastor, so I hope so. <laughs> but you can't trust my title. I need you to trust me. Do you yeah, trust me? You. Definitely. Okay, all right. So, Jay-Z, you tell me. Jay-Z, this is going to sound crazy. Okay. But do you trust me enough to stand stand on that chair? Oh, my gosh. I underestimated how tall you are. <laughs> Jay-Z, how tall are you? 6'2". You're 6'2". Praying for 6'3". Praying for 6'3". I like it. Jay-Z... You trust me enough to stand on this chair. Here? Yeah. No, no, no. Like right there. You, you trust oh, yeah. me enough? <laughs> Jay-Z, do you trust me enough to put this blindfold on your eyes? I'm holding you. Okay. You trust me enough to not... a little bit. <laughs> We're good. You're good. You got it. Yes, I can't see. Jay-Z, how much do you trust me? A lot. A lot? All right. Don't worry about it. Okay. Jay-Z... In just a minute, I'm going to say three. And I want you to know, I, I want you to tell me, do you trust me enough to lean back into fall? Yes. Do you really? Yeah, I'll do it. You trust me enough to lean back and fall? Yes. All right, on three, I want you to lean back and fall. Okay. One, two, three. Thanks for trusting me. Thanks, Jay-Z. Thanks for, being a, thanks for being a help. Thanks, guys. Thanks for helping me. Were y'all scared? Did y'all think I was going to let him fall? Did you really think I was going to let him fall? Would you say the same thing of you? When it comes to God, it's one thing to say, God, I trust you. It's another thing to put myself in a place to have to trust him. I want you to think about this. We just sang this a minute ago. I want you to to see this a test. Does your heart catch up to the words of your mouth? We just sang this. God, you gave your son for me. You gave your everything for me. How then can I not trust you? See, it's one thing to say, God, I trust you, 
I trust you with all that I have and I trust you with all that I am. But it's another thing to put yourself in a place of trust. Now understand, there's levels of trust, right? I mean, it took a lot for Jay-Z. When I texted him this week and said, Jay-Z, I need you to help me out with something. I got an illustration that I need your help with. And he said, well, what is it? And I said, I can't tell you. It took faith and trust for him to say, hey, okay, I'll do it. He had no idea what he was about to do. It takes trust for him to come up here in front of all of you. It takes trust for him to get up in that chair. How weird is that? Who asked somebody to do that? It takes another level of trust for him to put a blindfold on. It takes an additional level of trust to lean back, not knowing if there's anybody behind him. And every single day, you and I stand in the same place. We have no idea what's coming tomorrow. We have no idea what's coming in the next moment. But we have a choice to make. Are we going to trust ourselves? Or are we going to trust the God who catches us when we fall? Are we going to trust ourselves and our own strengths to get us out of the bind? Or am I going to put myself in a place of trust where I can lean back and I know because he has given me his son, surely, surely he's going to catch me when I fall and I put all my trust in him. Because the beautiful picture that God gives us in Jeremiah 17 is one of blessing when we put ourselves in a place to trust him. Look at this. Jeremiah 17, here's the picture that he gives. In verse 8, he says, He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. He has all the nutrients he needs because he is not looking outside of God for anything to satisfy his hunger, but rather he is looking to God to satisfy his hunger. He's not looking for the job, for the kids, the grandkids, the mom, the dad, the relationships. He's not looking for that next like on social media. He's not looking for anything outside of God to be the one who satisfies his heart. But rather, he has made God the object of his trust, his hope, his affirmation. And he says, blessed is this person. Secure is this person. Happy is this person in a way that can't be moved by the things of the world. One author said it's like living on the edge of yikes, right? Moving to that edge, not knowing what's behind me, only knowing that God's got me. And that each and every time that I've moved myself to that place, I can trust that when I give my resources, God's going to take care of me, right? When I give my time, God's going to redeem the time. When I make him the object of my trust, I am satisfied. My heart is satisfied. But not only that, but when I make God the object of my trust, my soul is at peace. My soul is at peace. In verse 8, keep reading. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green, is not anxious in the day of drought. No matter what comes our way, the man who makes God the object of his trust does not fear tomorrow. In a world that you and I live in this world, just turn on the news, it's a daily reminder that this world is not our home. 
and that if this world is where we're placing our trust, we are going to live under the weight of fear and anxiety and hopelessness. But that is not the truth for you and me. But there's a difference between believing that to be true, saying it with my lips, and believing it with my heart. He is inviting us into the blessed life. The blessed life that makes him the anchor of my soul. The lighthouse of direction that I look to in the stormy sea of life. That says, hey, this is a safe place. This is the destination. Come and find peace and rest and security here. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28. Where he says, come, I have rest. It's available to you. But it's available to you when you make him the object of your trust. Our most anxious days ought to be an indicator that God is no longer the object of my trust, but something else is. That my heart is slowly turning away from the Lord and it's turning to something else. So he says he's satisfied. His soul is at peace. But then number three, he's fruitful. He produces something He's not like the cedar tree that sucks up all of the water, but rather he is, he, he is like a tree that sends its water to the vegetation around it. On the worst of days, he is a blessing. She is a blessing to the people around them. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. You know this because we're in a drought right now. Right? I look at the dead grass. I look at my trees, my shrubs that are struggling under the drought. We need water. We need rain. And yet here is a picture of one who in the barren wilderness is thriving, growing, producing its fruit it's a blessing to the people around them. As I was doing my study this week, I stumbled across this place. It's called, um, let me see if I get it right, Gan Hashaloshish. Don't judge my Hebrew, okay? It's been a while. It's been a while. But this, this beautiful place, I got a picture of it on, on, I want to show you. But it's this beautiful place in the middle of the Israeli wilderness. It's a gorgeous, is it up there? There we go. Yeah, look at that. Isn't that beautiful? Gan ha slosha. There we go. We got it. I was close. Okay, so this is this national park in the middle of the Israeli desert that many would say, or they believe, to be the Garden of Eden. This was once the Garden of Eden. How, whether it was or not, I don't really know. I'm not here to make that argument. But what I am here to say is that this is a beautiful, put it back other. This is a beautiful place that is flowing with natural streams, green lush vegetation, trees grow, thrive, they're producing their fruit in the middle of a barren wilderness so that all people can come and experience the joy and the blessing of this place. Now, I want to ask you a question because I think this is really important. When it comes to your life, are you experiencing the blessing of God or are you experiencing the curse of putting your trust in the Lord, or the trust in man. 
So this is kind of an interesting illustration, but another unique thing. Where'd it go? Here's my money. I was thinking about this this week. You know, this American currency, this $10 bill is the biggest bill I had in my pocket. I don't ever carry cash. It's, I know. It's fine. I don't have a checkbook either. We're fine. I know. I know. We're working on it, okay? I'm trying to catch up. So here's what I love about American currency. On the back of every dollar, it says this four-word phrase. Anybody, anybody know what it says? And God we trust. So for the majority of you in the room, can't say this is true of me, but for the majority of you in the room, carry around this currency everywhere you go, don't you? Probably in your pocket or in your purse. And you're carrying around this reminder, and God we trust. So every time I purchase something, every time I move this across the table for something in my life, I have to look at that and it says, in God we trust, and I'm handing it over. And yet, despite the fact that each and every moment we do that, look at that reminder, push this across the table, I live my life as though in self I trust. On the back of this bill is a reminder that this is not my hope. This is not my trust. That on the day when I don't have any more of these, God's going to catch me when I fall. The day when I realize I don't have enough to pay for my kids' college, God's got my back. The day when the market crashes, God's got my back. The day when gas prices go over $4, Thank the Lord for 267. God's got my back. The day when I go to school and I realize, man, I don't have enough money to have those shoes that everybody else has. Or when I get on Instagram and I see all the vacations that everybody's taken, and I'm like, man, I don't have enough. I don't have enough of these. I can look at the back of this thing and go, but my trust is not in this. My trust is in the God who's going to catch me when I fall. But let me ask you, is that true of you? Is that true of you this morning? It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to believe it. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to close out our time together, close out my sermon time together, and I want us to ask the Lord, Lord, Is this true of me? Move my heart, change my heart to the degree that my my hope, my trust is in you, not in man. Would you just bow your head, close your eyes with me? Well, Father, we come to you today recognizing that our hope is not in this world and it's not in anything that the world has to offer but that it is in you and in you alone. Father, we want to experience your blessing. We want to live and enjoy the deep security that comes from a heart that makes you 
the centerpiece of our trust, that makes you the object of our trust, Lord, help us to be a garden in a wilderness. That God, even as we consider the next two years, Lord, I pray that you would move our hearts to a place where we are so willing to trust you. We're so willing to step out there to put ourselves in a place where we have to trust you because if we don't, we'll fall on our back. Father, we need you and we need your help. Father, for your foolishness is wiser than man's wisdom and your weakness is greater than man's strength. But Lord, let that be true of our hearts, not just our mouths. May you move us to that degree this week. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.